Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. You are listening to episode number 59 of the Gateworld podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is a show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Last week they were two different nerds, but this week I'm back. We've got some Stargate news to talk about. We'll catch up on GateWorld site features, as always. And then we have a preview of GateWorld's upcoming interview with Morris Shapdelaine, actor, puppeteer extraordinaire. He's yeah. one of the many creatives behind Thor and the Asgard. And then our big main discussion topic coming up in just a few minutes is Stargate SG-1 Season 10. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for September 9th, 2009. TV shows on DVD.com announced last week that Sanctuary Season 1 is arriving on DVD September the 15th. It includes three special features designed exclusively for the DVD, commentaries on all 13 episodes, and it's got all eight original Sanctuary webisodes, which uh, premiered online. That was the original experiment. So they'll also have a blogger's reel, behind-the-scenes photo gallery, and an exclusive sneak peek of Season 2. We have the episode title for the two-part season finale of Stargate Universe. Can you believe the show has not even premiered yet, and we already have the titles for the entire season? I wish we didn't, but that's just the way it is. This was announced uh, at Joseph Malazzi's blog. He's a consulting producer for Universe, and he wrote the two-part finale. If you don't want anything that remotely approaches information about the show that might be construed as spoilers, fast forward for 30 seconds or a minute. So some people might consider a title to be spoilers. The title for the Stargate Universe season finale is Incursion, part one and part two. Now see, that's like thesis. I mean, a thesis can be anything. <laughs> An incursion can be any number of things. Incursion can be a temporal incursion. An incursion can be some kind of a... Some kind of accident. Well, if you discount the part one and part two sub sub labels, we made it all the way through the first season, and every episode title is one word. The other things that we know about the finale so far is that it will be a cliffhanger, and uh, Joe said it's got a huge holy bleep ending. Canada will be getting the same day premiere of Stargate Universe. For a long time, the country where Stargate is made is not getting its own show. Uh, at the same time that it airs. But uh, October 2nd... It will be airing on Space, which is another big deal because that channel is much more accessible to more viewers than uh, new episodes of Atlantis the last few years were airing on the movie network. They'll get the two-hour premiere up in Canada at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on Space. So that's the same time and day that we'll be watching it in the U.S. Uh, But then the regular time slot is going to be 10 p.m., so it's going to be an hour later than the U.S. We should say, if you're in the U.K., the premiere date is Tuesday, October 6th on Sky One. And we've just found out in Australia you're going to get it just a week later on October 9th on Sci-Fi Channel Australia. When Stargate Atlantis premiered in 2004, it set a ratings record on the Sci-Fi Channel. Got a 3.2 rating with an estimated 4.2 million viewers. That record has stood for over five years, but it just fell this summer to Sci-Fi's new series, Warehouse 13. Episode 5, I think, was the first one that it happened. I've got numbers here for Episode 6, which then beat Episode 5. Episode 6 of Warehouse 13 earned... Also a 3.2 household rating, but uh, Sci-Fi Channel is in more homes now, so that equals out to about 4.4 million viewers. Mm -hmm. So good on Atlantis for its entire run. It was not surpassed in its... Mm -hmm. You know, holding that ratings record for sci-fi. I'm really happy that sci-fi is doing as well as it is right now in terms of viewership. That bodes very well for Stargate Universe. I think it 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 sounds like it's going to get a good, give it a good chance. Especially, I mean, now that we're entering the fall, you know, hopefully their their marketing strategy, the new name, all all of that will hopefully pay off. Gateworld features. Well, it's been a long time coming. We've been promising toys, toys, toys ever since we launched this uh, new version of the website, GateWorld 2.0. I've been taking photographs of the toys in my 
office and some that uh, Stargate World's lead animator Carl Koss has given me. He takes his toys out of the box. I do not. So I photograph them in their packaging. We have about three-fourths of all the toys out of the box. You'll be able to tell when you go into the gallery which ones are missing. But uh, you just enter the gallery and scroll down to toys and games. We have the movie toys. We have the Stargate SG-1 toys and the Stargate Atlantis toys. All there and photographed. Beauty. So I went and looked at this and found... Things like P90s and Zat guns, these tiny little plastic accessories that come with the with the action figures. Very and detailed photos, eh? Very detailed. They're high res photos, and you you open up the high res version, and these are these are you can tell they're really detailed little pieces of artwork. There's something else for the gallery that I've been wanting to do for a long time, which just launched this last week, which is I wanted to have all the covers of all the Stargate magazines and all the comic books. Uh, in addition to those other sci-fi magazines that Stargate occasionally gets a cover on. So this is now available in the gallery. It's just the start for the comics and magazines section. We've got all the old stuff that you did from the movie comics that were published in the 90s by Entity. Uh, Lots of of covers and also inside pages. Yeah, and Stargate Universe is on the cover of Sex Magazine. Sex Magazine, yes. It's actually SFX, but uh, Robert Carlyle's head (laughs) is hiding the bottom of what looks like you look at that thumbnail icon you (laughs) that's the first thing hey you know what if i was designing sfx covers i'd probably try and make that mistake every couple of issues so then we've also got the avatar comics for sg1 and atlantis and the new uh comics that are being published starting in october from dynamite for both sg1 and atlantis the first covers of those are out now Screen Capture Gallery. Every Monday, we bring you new screen captures. This past week, we have added SG-1 Season 8. And next week, expect SG-1 Season 9. And every week, we also attempt to bring you the Friday 5, our top 5 countdown list of all things Stargate, unless I happen to be traveling, which I was last week. So my apologies again. It did not get done, but this week will be Space Battles on the Friday Five. And then we've got a couple more ideas to round out the end of September. And because this is a summer feature, the Friday Five is going to be going away, at least until next summer. Our interview with Thor puppeteer Morris Chapdelaine is heading your way very soon. Morris talks about his experience in puppeteering Thor, also playing the Oranian Tanat, and a couple of the other characters that he's done. Now, I was under the impression that there was a new Asgard puppet kicked out every two or three years. Is that wrong? No, no, that's absolutely right. Because the the body, the latex body, would often deteriorate. Um, okay. It was pretty hard. To, it's an expensive uh, thing to take care of, and you know we'd end up dragging him all over the place. So it's just yeah, we we need to they need to put up a new one every couple of years. And we also did at one point. Jenny Cassidy and I uh, spoke at a convention, and uh, that was the first time people had seen him. You know, at a live audience, and that was really, really an amazing experience. The, the auditorium was sold out. People were like, just so stoked to to see the puppet in person. They've done, we've done photo sessions before, like a year yeah. before at another convention, and uh, and that was fun. But to be able to get him up on stage and to show and them moving. our controllers and how he works, yeah, it was great. Wow. And we've actually been invited, been invited to go to conventions in. Um, in Europe and in New Zealand and in Australia, but the logistics of sending this huge box with a puppet in and myself, it was really quite funny. Um, it was just, it became complicated and expensive. And there was actually at one point they had decided, okay, so we can't send him in a big box. We can't ship him ahead. We, they thought maybe we could drive him around in a truck and do like North American stuff. Um, <laughs> And then they said, but it's so much faster to fly. And one woman who was uh, representing me for convention said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to buy the puppet a first-class seat, and he'll sit in the seat beside you, and you can just, like, take care of him that way. (laughs) And that was really funny. I I kept on having this vision of me trying to walk through customs. With With the Roswell Ray. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The main discussion. All throughout 2009, we've been doing Stargate history, going all the way back to the beginning, to the 1994 movie, and talking our way through 1994, 2000, 15 years of Stargate. Yak, yak, yak. And today, 
It's season 10, the last year of SG-1. This is the first season in researching over the past two weeks that I have managed to watch all the episodes of. Good so job. If you're on your computer, go check out gateworld.net slash SG-1 slash S10 to follow along. I like those old those old uh, cassette tapes with, with the books that you'd get when you were a kid and it'd beep when you needed to turn a page. Oh, and... we should do that in the podcast. What's your favorite episode of season 10? The Pegasus Project. This is the best hour of season 10. Yes. Why is it so awesome? It's like Star Wars, which I just watched last night. It has the elements of everything that makes SG-1 great. It's like the fifth race in that regard, except it's, it's not the same as the fifth race. It's different. You have, you have Daniel going off, researching and discovering an ancient. Ancients are, of course, my soft spot, especially when they're female ancients. Mm-hmm. And then you have Carter and McKay bantering along and Mitchell, you know, not being able to put up with Rodney McKay. And then you have Teal'c sitting quietly in the Milky Way galaxy doing very little. And that is all that this episode is, you know. It's a, it's a, and it's also, I think, one of the reasons that it's so successful is it's a victory at the end. We like victories, and yep. we like them when they're surprising. Against both of the enemies for both shows. Yes, yes. So that, and the solution was very clever, because the energy vortex on any kind of Stargate is the be-all, end-all of destructive force. <laughs> if you want something gone, you throw, some, you throw it into a vortex. Vaporize the atoms. That's right. Basically. Why do you like Pegasus Project? This episode is just the most classic SG-1 that we got, I think, in the last three or four years of the show. This was a, a Brad Wright extraordinaire. He decided he wanted to write a crossover for the two shows, and let's face it, there are some bad crossovers in the history of television. This this could have been bad. Um, it could have been uh, weak in that it doesn't service all the characters uh, or the, the right characters. Obviously, you've got full casts of Atlantis, full cast of SG-1. You've got to pick which characters are going to be at the forefront, and it's yeah. this is an SG-1 episode. This As a crossover episode, this is really excellent. We get to see the characters in Atlantis. The things that you and I touch on so many times, uh, things like a gate problem... Um, that's mm-hmm. that's in this episode. We've got to uh, try and figure out a way of connecting to the Supergate to prevent the Ori from being able to send their armies in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's there. There's a Teltac. Tilka's out there in a cargo ship. I'll be frank. Since Reckoning and Threads, I had not really been tremendously enthusiastic about the show. Mm-hmm. This beat at the climax of Pegasus Project, where they detonate the bomb, connect the wormhole, the wormhole jumps Teal's escaping, leading the, the Ori mothership around and the vortex comes through and pummels that Ori warship it's I threw my arms up into the air exactly, it's like a touchdown and that is as good as I think SG-1 had been for over a year. Hi, my name is Mark from Omaha, Nebraska. My favorite episode of Stargate SG-1 Season 10 is the Pegasus Project and here's why. The episode was written by Brad Wright It had excellent character development from both SG-1 and Atlantis characters. Daniel Jackson finally got to go to Atlantis after all those times that he was prevented from doing so. And the story served both universes. We have the race, we have the Ori, and we have the subplot of Daniel finally getting to try to convince an ancient to join the fight against the Ori. Overall, it was an awesome episode. One of the things about about Reckoning is that we know that it's coming. We know that the ancient superweapon is going to go off and something is going to have to save the day big time. Yep. Um, but you don't ex- I And I had an inkling that the energy vortex might have something to do with it once that or our mothership started approaching at that angle. Briefly. It, it was just mm. a glimmer in my, in my mind. Um, but then when it's fully realized and that vortex on the Supergate is so incredible. I mean, it's just so fulfilling. Yeah, and then the smaller, quieter stuff, I love having having Weir come in and out of the holographic chamber talking to Daniel and Vala. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the stuff with uh, Sarah Strange does fantastic Morgan Le Fay. Least favorite episode? My least favorite episode is Family Ties. Again, mine as well. Really? This may be the first time in ten seasons that we've actually lined up exactly. I know what they were going for, and you have a great actor like Fred Wood. Frack, he was the only human being in Wally for crying out loud. It doesn't work. 
It was written for Fred Willard, and Fred Willard is brilliant. I love him in everything that he does except this episode. The opening of it with, with the girls being girls is great. I didn't think we'd ever get to see that, mm. and we got that. The ending of it was, I thought it was so cheesy. unexpected, and I loved that too. But everything in between is very mediocre. They're trying to do a, a comedic episode. Vala is sort of a, a comedic character, brought a, a light-hearted spunk to the show, which was great. This is exploring her background, her family. Um, it, it doesn't work. There's too much going on on Earth, again, that is not interesting. He's in a hotel room somewhere, cheating some old ladies, and he's got his own con going, and they kind of figure him out towards the end, and it... Uh, Fills in some background for Vala, which was nice. It explains why she is the way she is. The one thing that I remember most from Family Ties is Jacek and Sam in her lab and him going on about uh, how the Stargate program has done so much for your network of planets. Yep. Uh, this uh, not-so-subtle dig at the Sci-Fi Channel canceling Stargate SG-1. It's a little bit on the nose, but that's funny. I didn't see it the first time I watched that episode, and maybe even the <laughs> second time I watched the episode, I did not notice it. I wasn't paying any attention, probably because I was tuned out. So anyway, back to the beginning. The season starts picking up where Camelot left off. We talked about Camelot as this uh, fantastic cliffhanger finale with the Ori fleet invading our galaxy, which sets the tone for season 10. Season 9 was all about the... The warnings, the announcement, the priors are, are giving warnings that the day of reckoning is coming, and now it's here, and their their ships are unstoppable, and they're here, and they're going to convert us by force. The leader of the Ori armies in the Milky Way is born in this episode, and portrayed magnificently by several uh, different young actresses uh, as Adria. That introduction had to be strong, and I think it was very largely successful. There's some great comedic beats in this episode between Daniel and Vala. I think Claudia Black largely carried season 10. When I think of my favorite moments from this season, it's Claudia Black, largely. It certainly is in Flesh and Blood, I think. She, her yes. giving birth and then having these repeated encounters with her daughter who is rapidly growing and giving her daughter her name, named after her mother or stepmother. Her stepmother, her which evil, of a woman. Wicked stepmother. There's a lot of poignant stuff in there. and And... Claudia really shows how how tender and and strong and deep Vala can be. Yep. She can act. And Adria tries to throw some propaganda bull to us about how the ancients have been the ones who are sapping power from everybody. I love the beat where Vala turns to her and says, do you really believe that or are you just hoping I will? And Adria takes a step back mm. and she's realizing that she's not winning her mother over and this is not working. And the Lucian Alliance stuff doesn't really work. Teal gets captured and beamed out in the nick of time. Again, another convention. It's a bit of a cheat that they managed to escape, that everyone everyone that we cared about managed to managed to escape destruction, except for Colonel Chekhov. But it, it mostly works. What sticks out in my memory most is Braytac. Mm. And Braytac deciding this is an enemy that, that we have to stand up against. This is going to be the Gould all over again. And he is ready to... It's do a kamikaze run, and and he thinks that it's a hopeless battle, and he's going to go down swinging. Morpheus is the episode about SG-1 falling asleep, which puts you to sleep. You didn't like it? No. Second time I watched it, I was literally trying to keep my eyes open like the characters were. I didn't fall asleep through it, and never did it tune me out. You know, when things got boring with with the team on Veganbray, uh, we went back to Claudia... And the lie detector test or something else with this with this this shrink who is who is trying to figure her out. And Vala's got it in her mind that she can that she can beat this psych test. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that B story. That's that's great, Vala. So then number three is Pegasus Project and four is Insiders, the return of Ball. I liked Insiders. It was okay. Just okay? Yeah. I am the real ball. <laughs> I like the setup that we got in season nine of uh, the ball clones, and this is a nice payoff that SG-1 now knows about all these clones and is trying to collect them. But at the end, we learn that Ball, of course, is still in control, and he's been playing us from the beginning to get what he wants. He's tapped into the SGC database. The enemy comes in, and he's played us from the beginning, and he's gotten the best of us. The moment that Carter is captured... Her security codes would have become inactive. 
that is so yep. monumentally careless. And Carter, Sam could have said, Ball, my access codes were deactivated as soon as you captured me. See, look, type in some random thing. See, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You're stuck. Cliff Simon was great, you know, but the whole thing about I am the real ball. No, I'm the real ball. How about uninvited? Mitchell and Landry stuck in a cabin, Jack's cabin in the woods, and then walking around and doing duck calls and then hunting for this big creature, while, meanwhile, SG-1 was discovering that not only are there creatures running around on other planets, but uh, we're kind of to blame for it. The fulvous whistling duck. Probably one of the greatest moments of season 10. (laughs) I could not keep a straight face. I don't know how Ben kept a straight face. Fantastic. And the end with the poker scene, with Sam's uh, poker expression. I love that. This, I think, illustrates why Mitchell can never be a fantastic character. Because he's so dang stiff. Exactly. He can never be more than what he is. And it seems like they play it for they play it for all the the was it giggles that they can in this episode. It's, it's almost like they were saying, yeah, we know that this character wasn't the most fantastic character when we recreated it. So we're going to put him in a situation that really shows that off. But I like that they're trying to get a getaway. I don't like that they've moved Jack's cabin from Minnesota to Colorado. Yeah, um, that was a bit of a stretch. And this episode contains, in my opinion, the single most outrageous exposition for all of SG-1. Okay, we have a Sodan cloaking device, and when it's out of phase, it also brings in this other creature from another parallel dimension, which does Mm -hmm. not affect you, but it goes out and it finds another host, and then it transforms it. Oh, Mm -hmm. and also, because you're not a Jaffa, then you don't have any radiation. And those are the creatures are the ones running around out there with the little dude from the parallel universe that metamorphoses those other creatures, and we have to hunt them down. It's convoluted. Convoluted. It takes a few steps to get there. I was actually going to comment that this is... Uninvited is not one of my favorites, but th- that's one of the elements of it that I like, again, because I'm I'm a hardcore geek in mythology, so I like the fact that we brought in the Sodan cloaking device. We met the Sodan in Season 9. So we have these things now. We're using them uh, actively in the field, yes. and... and they, it goes haywire, just like just like Earth starting to use a Stargate. We are getting ourselves in trouble by using this advanced alien technology. And it, the explanation all works, but it, it takes a lot of steps to get there. And if you're a casual viewer, there's no chance that you're going to hear that and hear anything other than wah, 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 wah. I've got to agree with what you said about Cam Mitchell's character. This was... Uh, People thought, you know, is Ben Browder going to try and be Jack O'Neill all over again? And, mm-hmm. and clearly he's not. He's introduced in Season 9. He's a very different guy. It took us a while to start to get to know him. Mm-hmm. The, you've put your finger on something that I've never been able to quite figure out, which is that Uninvited, it's a lot of, of uh, getting to know Mitchell. And in getting to know him, we we kind of get to know the fact that the, the guy's kind of boring. He's <laughs> He's stiff and he's not willing to loosen up. Now let me let me qualify. I don't mean that the character is boring. I mean that as a as a human being within the fantasy world, he's he's a stiff guy. When you compare the character to other characters that have been intervu- introduced, in my opinion, Cameron Mitchell is very dull. And they created for themselves a great opportunity to express why he is the way he is. Mm-hmm. You get him and Landry in a cabin together, you know, they they go through a couple of days of trouble. And the last couple of hours before they're joined by the rest of the team, you can give Mitchell this great monologue about mm-hmm. why he is the way he is, about something mm-hmm. that happened to him in a mission that he went on previously, you know, that explains why he's such a kind of reserved and, and kept and shy. It's just at work. Maybe it's something he lost somebody who he worked with that, that he was close to and doesn't want to get close to his team his team members or, or CO anymore. And they don't do it. And therefore, you don't get the audience rooting for him as a character because we don't understand his motivation any more than in the beginning of the episode. All it says is either we, we didn't have time to put it in that episode or, sorry, but the character really is kind of boring. He does a little bit at the end, I think, they tried when in, in teasing Landry. And then Landry shuts it down, which I thought was... I thought was horribly awkward. Yeah, I thought it was very awkward, too. I mean, you've Not been working on way. this guy for several days, and then he finally does something, and, and mm-hmm. Landry says, well, not that much. Landry shuts it down. Hi, I'm Russell from Baltimore. I just going to say that my favorite episode from season 10 was Uninvited. I know that there are a lot of great character moments in the other episodes, and there are a lot of... Uh, larger, bigger budgets and all that sort of thing. 
But um, that was really that really was my favorite just because it was a bunch of guys running around with uh, G36s and shooting up huge muscly rodents transformed by radiation. Skydiver liked this episode from GateWorld Forum. She says, Uninvited is bad in a lot of ways, including the poor quality of the CGI critters and the sheer silliness of the whole plot. That said, Vala got to interact with someone other than Daniel. We got to see Sam in charge. Sam and Vala actually got to talk to each other, and we got some lovely team stuff at the end. It was, in a lot of ways, a crappy sci-fi Saturday movie brought to the SG-1 stage, but it was the character moments that made it worthwhile. And Uninvited was one of the very few Season 9 and 10 episodes that had real character interaction. What about 200? Isn't this one like Wormhole Extreme that you sort of love it or you hate it? This is the -the out-of-the-box episode that that marks the 200th of the show. It's nice that they did it in in discreet little vignettes for the most part. I love some of them and I dislike others and I'm ho-hum about others. And then the, the overall envelope of the team sitting around reading a movie script... I I could care less. I adore 200. I think that it is so much fun. There are about 200 in-jokes in 200, and they are fantastic because they're written for me and they're written for the writers, and they all work. Some of the um, vignettes, like the the marionette sequence, I uh-huh. asked myself, why did they pick that? scene to do you know why why introduce the team you know when you could have done an original idea that i did not care for the lead up to this i knew about almost all of the vignettes before i saw them i really didn't want to know anything and there were one or two that i didn't know about period and one of them was the the teen sg1 i knew nothing about (laughs) that and that is my favorite really so funny that was funny i like that one then there was uh, Farscape and Star Trek and Zombie Movie and Wizard of Oz. I'm not trying to kiss up to Brad because I know he wrote it, but I love the marionette sequence. I think it's hilarious, and it, it just works. It completely works. Um, oh, it's funny. The, t- the Teen SG-1 is, is good. It's one, of my, it's one of my more preferred. But those spoofs of, of other sci-fi shows like Farscape and Star Trek... I think they fall flat. They're not funny, and they seem to have spent a lot of time and effort going through setting up the the sets and and doing all the costuming, uh, and The Wizard of Oz is another one. Uh, It's it's momentarily funny to see Daniel as the cowardly lion, but I guess part of it is I expected those vignettes to be a little bit longer. I expected them to be a few minutes, and instead Farscape is just, we go down the line and each character says a line, and in Star Trek it's three lines of dialogue, and it's... It was, a, it was a tremendous disappointment for me. I, I didn't like those at all. And Martin Lloyd, if I never see him again, it'll be too soon. I thought that the ending was a little bit on the nose, except for Grell the robot quoting Isaac Asimov, which is perfectly on the nose, but perfectly correct in that context. Yeah. Brad ends this episode with a quotation from Isaac Asimov about the role that science fiction plays, and that has stuck with me since I saw it. That That is very poignant and overcomes a lot of, of uh, what I see as the, the downsides of this episode. Counter-Strike. We've had our fun. We've eaten our cake. Now it's time to get back to the Ori. Stargate. The, the Ori Strike Back. Storyline. The introduction of adult Adria. They've got some great beats running around the Ori mothership. You know, Daniel talks to Val about Share, which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite scenes from this yep. episode. But we lose Dakara. And we lose so much of what we fought for. All of that really gets canceled out. For a while, we think that the Jaffa Nation is basically gone. Well, I remember, yeah, Adria came in with the Ori warship and kicked Dakara's ass and destroyed the super weapon in the whole mountain. That was huge, huge, and I loved it. Because, you know, we're, we're upsetting the status quo, and this is what needs to happen. We need to see how big of a threat she is and these big motherships are. I did not remember that, that it had come back around and we had said that, oh, the Jaffa Nation is fine. Adria, as as a villain, uh, was either going to be made or broken in this episode, and I don't think it really worked, this mm. one. I love Marina Baccarin, but her in this role, I don't know if it was the role of Adria, it, it just didn't fly for me. Yeah, she seemed to be not quite menacing enough, maybe. It yeah. was, uh, I love the actress, I love her in Firefly, 
and I, I was ecstatic when I heard the casting news, but it took up until the Arc of Truth, it took up, up until the end of Adria's role on Stargate for me to really get into the character. Uh, she took a while, and here in Counter-Strike, her introduction uh, as, a, as a full-grown adult leader of, of the army, yeah, there's something about it that's just kind of flat. Hello, Mother. I never thought I'd see you again. This and this, and this and that. Just kill us and get on with it. Save us some trouble. <laughs> Memento Mori, one of my favorite episodes in Season 10. You and I are lining up to be almost polar opposites on Season 10, with the exception of our most our favorite favorites and our and least favorite. <laughs> there are some elements of it that are, you know, kind of mediocre. I love her as a waitress. I love her friend uh, that she makes in Sal. The chase at the end, you know, that that is kind of boring. But Claudia Black can act. I love the dinner stuff at the beginning with Daniel. She's getting sort of a pat on the back and a thank you. I love the the torture stuff. And again, Claudia is awesome at this. There was a, a, a series of episodes on Farscape where her character went through some some torturous things. and And you just know this is this she's the the right actress to do stuff like this and they could have gone farther they could have done more but uh, i like all that stuff and uh claudia's great in this i like athena the fact that we brought back some lackey who used to work for ball and now turns out she's been goulded and mm-hmm. is after something inside of vala's head mm-hmm. because vala used to be host to the gould katesh company of thieves on the other hand meh I like this one a little bit more. Mitchell goes behind enemy lines and infiltrates the Lucian Alliance. And again, the, we've seen the Lucian Alliance as sort of wimpy thugs throughout Season 9, and this was an episode that was going to make or break them in a lot of ways. Natan is whining that my leadership skills aren't all that good, and I need to kill someone to prove my point. <laughs> yeah. So Cam uh, uses, again, pulling, going back uh, into the archives, uses the real chemical to poke Natan and convince him that he's his old friend who lives out on the outskirts of the Lucian Alliance and nobody ever sees. This was the episode I was talking about in the Season 9 podcast when we when we talked about the Lucian Alliance. There's this character they introduce who is leading the charge to commandeer the Odyssey and takes over the ship and executes Colonel Emerson. Yes. Uh, Anateo, played by Rudolph Martin. This was yes. a cool character. This guy was badass, and he made me fear the Lucian Alliance and what they would do a lot more than Natan ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy showed that, that the Lucian Alliance are terrorists. They are well-organized terrorists. Natan is more of a bureaucrat in, in the Lucian Alliance in terms of their, the perspective of these characters, and, and Anateo is definitely a terrorist. I was excited by the character, and, and I liked Colonel Emerson's character. I was sad to see him go, but I liked the, the way that they used that death to establish how really awful of a human being Anateo was. This episode, the Lucian Alliance is good in this episode, and then they kill him. Anateo does not survive the episode. Yeah. Tilk is tortured once again. He's being subjected to torture, and they ad-libbed the whole line. I'm getting really tired of this torture camera, Mitchell, which was not in the original script, at least in the form that it's produced in the in the episode, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm getting tired of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> How about the mid-season two-parter, The Quest? Two very different episodes, part one and part two. First part is very procedural. I didn't care for it so much. The second part is much better. You doubt the legend? Um, in, in the dragon, it just sucks. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. It was so bad, it was embarrassing. I mean, it was clear that that part two was um, going to feature the dragon at the beginning. And I was like, you know what? I can wait as long as they want me to wait for that one. I do not have any interest to see that anytime soon. The cliffhanger was the dragon breathing the fire, and I was not interested in seeing any more of the dragon. I I did not like the dragon. I like the puzzles. I like, uh, again, it is formulaic, but they, they deliberately crafted, I mean, the writers crafted these puzzles because Morgan Le Fay had crafted these puzzles. Yeah. Different sorts of challenges along the way. This was my frustration in season 10, was we're hunting for Merlin's weapon. We're hunting for something that Merlin created that can kill ascended beings. All through this quest, we're trying to find the Sangral, or whatever it was at the time, and we're, we're never quite sure what it is that we're getting to. Well, they they get to the 
the cave at the end and there's a jewel on the pedestal and is the jewel the sangral is that the weapon and i understand teasing it out a bit but uh, the fact that it was all about the quest it was called the quest and we don't really know what it is that is at the end of this rainbow I found frustrating. The reveal of Merlin in the quest part two. He's still alive. All those beats, those were great. Uh, a lot. Of, they took a lot of time to to have some character exchanges between Daniel and Merlin, and we find out that Oma was actually among the ancients that were alive at his time, or he knew her when he was ascended. Some one of those. But there's a lot of that, which makes it very interesting to those of us who care. Now, those visual effects with the ancient assembler were magnificent. Uh I really thought that they put their money into that. And then Merlin dies, and that's really sad. Part two, I think, is a really strong episode. It was a bit convenient to find Merlin still alive and and ready to help us finish the task, but uh, you kind of had to do it. Merlin had been built up so much since Avalon that... uh, We were either going to meet Arthur or Merlin. Yeah, I was satisfied with it. I was satisfied with uh, his interaction with Daniel, dumping his his, uh, consciousness or memories or whatever it was into Daniel's head. Yeah. Um, good stuff. The assembly of the device is good stuff. Confrontation with Adria, and the fact that this ends on a cliffhanger, we lose Daniel at the end of this. Yeah. Was very significant to me. Rachel five hundred says my favorite episode is Quest Part Two. The Quest Part One was a fairly bad diversion into the fantasy genre, but its second part excels by contrast. It marries the mythology of Arthur and the Ancients, acknowledges the past with Jack, has the fantastic use of the Stargate and the planetary jumping. All the characters play a part, and the actors excel. Sam gets to punch a ball. There's a fantastic battle between Adria and Daniel, and it's just great. For me, this episode showcases everything this new, refreshed SG-1 show could deliver. Just fantastic entertainment. Line in the Sand. Return of Toman. Very welcome return. I was waiting for him to come back, and he came back at about the right time. Could have come mm-hmm. back a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Tim Guinea once again mops up the floor. Him and Claudia's beats are great. Now, I found that much more interesting than Cam and Sam hiding out of face. Yeah, this guy sells everything that he's in, especially in Stargate. I did not expect very much from this episode. Daniel's gone. We've got Cam and Sam over here uh, with their, their storyline out of phase, hiding from the guards. The guards are looking around, walking through walls. Vol is up on the ship, and uh, Tim Guinea especially working with an actress like Claudia Black. Uh, Tim Guinea, I think, is is so solid that, that he makes what could have been a really sort of ordinary episode extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And uh, props also to the writers who were, who were giving him uh, these things like the speech to the prior at the end of the episode. Yeah. How he's, he's gone through this conflict of, of the prior has, has taken this book of scripture and this faith that has been so fundamental to Toman's character for his entire life and twisted it. And used it for evil. Yeah, but I only wish that they would have seeded this this doubt in the very first episode to make it work. Because when I saw this, it was like, this is this is a different character now. Didn't they, though? Didn't they seed it a little bit in, in Flesh and Blood? I would almost say that he was almost bloodthirstily ready to get out on the battlefield. And now, mm. at the same time, you know, he had just gotten his leg, and he had never been able to walk like this. So I think he was really interested to see what those limbs could do. But he was gleeful ready to smite the heretics and the unworthy and whatever you want to call it in, in, in Crusade. I think that's one of the things that made that character so strong. And then in this episode, it's, clearly he operates on a very different mindset, which is you know, mm-hmm. interpretation of the Book of Origin and the Ori are nice and that you know, he really should be fair to the Gentiles of civilization or whatever in the Milky Way galaxy in order to you know, dispense the will of God or his gods. I actually don't like the road not taken the next episode as much as most people seem to. So Sam Carter thrust into an alternate universe where Landry's president and the Stargate program is public and the Ori are about to attack. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I like the fact that Landry has his his uh, command headquarters in orbit. The Rodney McKay stuff is good. I don't like that, you know, they put off, well, McKay, you've done this in another galaxy, and so we'll figure it out and then fade to our reality and makes it back. The driving plot for our Sam, the character that we're vested in, is she wants to go home now. She's helped this this Earth save themselves from the Ori, at least for now. She wants to go home. Landry says, no, you're mine. That's driving the second half of the episode, and then the end of it is just she walks into into the lab, and McKay says, they're going to let you go. Yeah, something that you did. So go home, good job. Yeah, that was a bit of a contrivance. And then the Shroud. 
my single most disappointing episode for this year. Really? Perhaps Let's, most of the show. Interesting. Let's hear Mac Jackson first. He says, my favorite episode of season 10 is The Shroud. It was the first time during the last two seasons that they used RDA properly instead of the wasted wave from the door type of appearance that they had up until then. After trying and failing to like the two new team members and the writing, it finally felt like the SG-1 we remember. It was great to see Jack and Daniel goofing around again, and the two newbies interact and listen to Jack. If only they used him more. The Shroud's not my favorite of the season, but it's it's in the top five, probably. I like this one a lot. I'm, we, we heard early on that they were going to go dark with Daniel, and uh, we're kind of hoping that it would last a little bit longer than one episode, but, but it... It makes the episode strong. It's prior Daniel, and it's just a shocking thing, because we don't know, up until this point, if this is a permanent change. And sure, he's a main character, and we've got to get him back eventually. But uh, we don't know if becoming a prior is a permanent thing. If he's Has he just been physically transformed? Has he been brainwashed? Is there any way of getting him back? It doesn't work for me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we heard rumors about this episode when we were visiting the the sets earlier that year they were talking about an episode where Daniel gets changed and you and I found out somehow that he gets converted into a prior I was like oh man I cannot wait to see that because one of my favorite exchanges in season 9 was Vregan Administrator Prior against Daniel in The Powers That Be and instead we get the Shroud which is 90% it's me no it's not yes it is no it's not Yes, it is. And that's all it was. It wasn't a prior Daniel. It was Daniel with prior makeup and prior powers. The ancients make no sense. He builds the weapon in this episode, and the ancients don't take it away, which does not at all line up with Mm. their, their MO for the previous seasons and how they've behaved thus far, even earlier in the season when taking Morgan Le Fay away. So we have to assume and just on faith that they've also reconsidered their plan and are going to let Daniel carry out his mission because just now they've decided that enough is enough. They could have had Daniel actually be a prior throughout this entire episode and be manipulative and dangerous and then at the very last moment of the show have him complete the weapon and send it through the Stargate to the Ori just in time where there's nothing that we can do about it yep. and it's turned out that it's actually been him the entire time. And we I were all tricked. I would have liked that better. That, that would have taken a three-star episode and maybe it made it a five-star episode for me. I, I Like you, I expected that a bit more. When, when Daniel was going dark and being converted to, to the dark side, I expected that and... Uh, I like the episode for for what they chose to do. They chose to to focus on the element of is it really our Daniel, and uh, then it, at, at the end the, the climax is he busts loose and takes over, and we're worried that it's not, and he's evil and he's out of control. Um, that's that's one way to go. I I would have preferred to have evil manipulative Daniel who was really actually, like you said, a prior and was working with Adria, and then. You know, Adria wants this device completed and turned on in order to kill the ancients in our galaxy, and at the last minute, Daniel sends it through the super gate. I wanted to watch this episode thinking to myself, wow, we may actually not get him back. Listen to what he's saying. He's really gone dark side here. And instead, yeah. it's really me. And oh, by the way, this is a failsafe, and, and Merlin says that this is going to go away in a few hours. So don't worry. And I really wanted to love this one, and I... It's just a little so bit sad. of a convenient undo with his his priorization. Bounty, I love bounty. You don't. Bounty stunk. Oh man! I thought it I thought stunk it was, on ice. I thought it was great. I thought Cam, Cam Mitchell's class reunion and stuff. I thought that that was terrific. <laughs> it was so much fun. Daryl, the character, you know, them out in the uh, in the field. That's my favorite scene from that episode. You know, where's where you say you work again? Accounts receivable. Click click. <laughs> She's in her Dorothy outfit. Um, there's just great beats between those characters, and and they they go over the mascot, and Vala and <laughs> freaks out when she looks at the mascot. The whole bit about getting run over by a bus, you don't hear or see that one coming. There is something wrong with you. Out of left field. Oh, there's a bus. And by the way, you didn't hear it and you didn't see it. <laughs> you hear a bus unless you're like behind a brick wall just before you come out. I like the bounty hunters. Some of the characters are more interesting than others, but uh, overall the class reunion thing, 
again, I like the opportunity to get to get to know Cam Mitchell a bit more and see where he came from, but um, this was kind of silly. When he goes back home to the farm in Continuum and has no dialogue, I thought that that was much better and much more poignant of a, of a insight into who he was, where he came from, than this silly class reunion stuff. I'm sorry you feel that way. I mean, the, the whole ending of, Cameron, it's time to go. Go wait in the car. Bad Guys is another one that I do not care for. I like the concept. I like the setup of SG-1 finds himself in on this alien planet uh, in this museum. Hildir says, my favorite episode of season 10 is Bad Guys. Yes, yes, I know it's not a widely popular episode, but I love it for me because it brought back the fun feeling of early episodes like Ergo, which I adored. I also liked it because it pushes the team out of their comfort zone. Instead of having them get captured yet again, something we've seen dozens of times, the episode turns it all on its head. It's also nice getting to see the team members do stuff they don't normally get to do during the season. Instead of the normal pairings, we get Mitchell and Vala and Daniel and Teal, which was a nice change from the majority of the season. Kildare is exactly right. This is uh, The episode setup is great because SG-1 is the bad guys. They're trying to make peaceful contact with this civilization. They get themselves in just a, a weird situation that's beyond their control and decide that they have to, to act like, like uh, terrorists, basically, taking over this museum uh, party. That's interesting. We've seen SG-1 go off to a, a pig-headed alien culture and, and get captured and held in tiny little cages, like in New Ground. We've seen that. We've seen it several times. This was interesting for that reason. This was, you know, Daniel losing his temper and yelling at the the, <laughs> the people sitting on the floor. I mean, that's... Don't eyeball me. That's funny. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good stuff. And, and I also agree with Kildare that, that swapping up the pairings and the fact that we got Cameron and Vala together and Teal'c and Daniel together was uh, appreciated. But you have elements like the, the Night Watchmen, which are supposed to be amusing, but aren't. Not. And you do have the whole bit about, this is a Stargate, it goes to other planets, we don't believe you. That element of it is a bit tiresome. The screaming woman, you know, I could have done a little bit less of her. Talion is, uh, well, it's, it's the last Tilk-centered episode, and it, uh, it, he goes out with a bang and a punch. Man, it is gruesome. I was, uh, again, expecting something a little different from this one based on the spoilers. A lot of the spoilers that came out before the episode were centered around the fact that this character of Arkad was somebody that was close to Teal'c, that Teal'c, I think, had trained, was sort of a protege to Teal'c, and then he basically betrayed everything that Teal'c believed in. You know, I was talking with Skydiver at the Chicago convention about this episode, and she said, you know, instead of making it about an ancient Jaffa revenge for, for Teal'c's mother, whom she has been mentioned once in the show... Why didn't they have uh, Arkad murder Ryak and Corinne? And huh. we really would have been rooting Holy. for him to that take that something. guy down. We understand what he's going through, but we never knew his mother. If he had murdered Ryak and Corinne, we would have been wanting to take him to take that bastard down. And they didn't do it. Tilk has gone off the reservation and uh, is out on his own and is, is deliberately avoiding SG-1 and the teams from Stargate Command to, to find this guy and get his revenge. And that's that's cool stuff because after 10 years and having an apartment on Earth, you you need to know what Teal'c is capable of mm -hmm. and where his priorities lie. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, Talion was really good for that. I, I Overall, I like this one. Dominion, an interesting show. Adria becomes Ball. That was one of those that you never expected that they would dare do in an episode, and they did it. And we see the results of it. Once again, you know, you don't have to be of truth of spirit to ascend anymore. Adria concentrates long enough while holding doors shut and choking her mother and manages to ascend. It cheapens ascension. It uh, works as an episode because the, uh, the bad guys are so cool. Yeah. This is, this is Ball with Adria in a cage. Yeah, and those those two characters are are interesting enough, and those two actors are are good enough that it, it's fun. Even without us, she went around. It's fun yeah. to see them playing their little games with each other, and um, yeah, ball ball does a big big thing, putting a ball symbiote clone symbiote in her. Again, it's like Kinsey getting ghouled in season eight. I don't really feel quite right about crossing our bad guys. I I don't know. I guess it's interesting to have the idea of a of a Orisai who's a ghouled. 
but it doesn't last very long. Unending. Unending is the series finale of Stargate SG-1. Had to do a lot of things. K. Thomas SG says, I would have to say that my favorite episode of season 10 was Unending. This is because of the strength and weakness of character that each of our heroes show. Carter's frustration of being unable to fix the problem and having to come to terms with it. Mitchell's breakdown at the injustice of it all. Daniel and Vala's relationship and their coming to terms with it and each other. And finally, Teal'c's unwavering strength and belief that Carter's plan would work. Each of these show how truly exceptional these characters are. For a show that, for the most part, was lighthearted fun and adventure, you couldn't ask for a more well-written and executed character exploration. Except for Teal'c, who is sworn for secrecy, it's all push-button. Um, and those experiences are lost. But at least we see, you know, where they could reset have button. gone. The reset button. You know, the makeup, the last phase makeup didn't work out very well. The idea of the episode is sound. And the, I watched it again today, and, you know, it's so sad. The characters are, they are stuck for 50 to 60 years in one spot. They are so miserable. Mm-hmm. And for that, if you're really emotionally invested with them, it is hard to watch because they're yep. trapped. But, you know, it, it's, it's a good 44 minutes of TV. It is. It's, it's a lovely character piece for those of us who are invested in these characters, mm-hmm. in uh, in Sam and Daniel and Teal'c for ten years now, mm-hmm. and in these other characters for a year or two, they've grown on us, and and we've welcomed them into our homes. And they're for a lot of us, they're the the actors at least are, are mm-hmm. sort of a, a part of our family in a way. Um, if you love these characters, this unending is really touching. The less said about the makeup, the better. Yeah. Uh, I think Rob Cooper, who wrote and directed it, told the story that he showed up on set and saw the makeup for the first time and said, this is what we have. This is the best we could do. And there was literally no choice but to shoot now. Uh, so he didn't care for it either. I, th- I, th- I think it was it was not the show's strongest. Is that a, a tactful way of putting yeah. it? Yeah. And the Asgard are destroyed. Holy yeah. cow. Big decision. What, what a big decision. And uh, three years on, did it work? Four years on? It worked at the time in that it was starting the episode in the sense of, of Earth is inheriting their, their legacy and their technology, and you're now the fifth race. I got shivers when I saw that again. Yeah, I got shivers because, again, the fifth race is, is my favorite episode of the series, but uh, it still seemed a little premature. It was more like... We're gone now, so you're pretty much all that's left. So you might as well be the fifth race. You know, it didn't seem like we had quite gotten there yet to me that we had quite deserved or quite earned the title. If I had my choice about the ending, I would have made the entire episode be about the Asgard and about saying goodbyes and you know reflecting on the on the ten year history and have it truly like be you know the death yep. of the Asgard is kind of the death of the show and have their I mean not have it all be dialogue have Earth. And the Odyssey defending the Asgard long enough to get the systems online and then at the end have them be destroyed. Yeah, I like the idea that the real Thor and the Asgard are, some of the Asgard are stuck in the time dilation bubble with the team. So maybe the team is defending an Ori attack of the, the last bastion of the Asgard civilization. And the Asgard aren't committing suicide because they can't solve their cloning problem. At the end, the team makes it out with their legacy and they get wiped out by the Ori. Yeah. How about that? The Ori wipe out the Asgard. Yeah. That would have been something. But um, it was. It seemed a bit premature. Again, we talked in, uh, I think at the end of, of uh, Season 5 in Revelations, we talked, I don't know if it made it into the show, but we talked about the fact that there's this ancient ancestor that the Asgard had found, and they were studying yeah. and trying to fig- solve their cloning problem. That never came back. And and we always wondered what's going on with the Asgard. Are they are they going to be able to fix themselves? Are they going to join the fight? Are they part of this? Um, and when they come back, when we finally see Thor again after who knows how long, it's just to say, we're done. We're committing suicide. Bye. So how about the season overall? This was a good year, I must say. I was really a fan of this season, and uh, uh, it has a, a it had a really good mixed bag of stories. You know, a lot more Vala this year. A lot more Cam Mitchell. Not as much Landry as last year, I think. And certainly not as much Carolyn Lamb. But the pieces were all there and they were moving. And I think a season 11 would have been really interesting. I mean, it would have been the search for the Ark of Truth, alas. And I don't know if uh, how much I would have enjoyed that. But, um, you know, season 10 was really, really successful in my opinion. I'm going to have to give this season an 8 out of 10. Season 10, I think it's hard to say that it stands up with the best of SG-1 
It's it's tough to say that this is as good as, in my opinion, seasons three, four, and five was the high point of the show. Uh, but it was good. The show went out on a high note. It had to reinvent itself. It had to reinvent itself in season nine, and it did it in a really strong way. I liked the Ori storyline overall. Uh, I thought that season ten was an improvement, and I think uh, a significant improvement over season nine. But for every Pegasus project, there is a family ties. So there are a few more clunkers, in my opinion, this season than there were in season nine. It's got some stellar episodes like Pegasus Project and Quest Part Two, but then there's Family Ties, and and 200 is not my favorite episode. Uh, I'm gonna give it a 7.5 out of 10. Thanks to everybody for calling in and writing in this week. We got a huge response on the Season 10 podcast, and I think we probably had the greatest diversity in the favorite episodes that people picked. These were all over. We also have a few other listener voicemails this week from the podcast hotline. Let's listen to those. This is Joel from Houston calling again. I was just excited when I heard uh, David talking about that he did take my advice on Heroes season two and three not to watch it i'm glad that you respect my opinion not knowing me as a sci-fi fan and i have to call in really as a response to that not really as a response to any listener question to say what my tastes are since that came up in the podcast my tastes are in good science fiction science fiction that explores interesting characters compelling stories whether it be character driven like a lost or a battlestar galactica which are both two of my favorite shows, or more action, more story-driven, like a Stargate SG-1, or a Star Trek The Next Generation, or Deep Space Nine, or Firefly. Those are the kind of shows that I love and find interesting. While they may never be completely perfect and they have their issues and problems that I have with those shows, they still manage to have consistent characters, characters you love, that you're interested in, and make some sense. Hey, David. Uh, This is Jeremy Solo from Michigan. I just can't believe you took to heart what Joel said about Heroes. Uh, Season 1 was good, and Season 2 may have been a little mediocre, but still good. And Season 3 just blew me away. It was, in my opinion, even better than Season 1. And I just can't believe you sold it based on one person's comment. You should really give it a chance, Netflix it or something, but don't pass it up because of uh, one person's comment. Thanks, Joel, for calling back again. And Jeremy from Michigan, I'm sorry, dude, but I, I sold the set, so that, that's pretty much it. And my, my finances are in a position right now where I'm not very interested in buying it again. Yeah, you got Netflix. Like Tammy said in last week's show, you know, I was already teetering on the edge of not being interested in watching it anyway. And all Joel did was, was take a, a finger and flick me. <laughs> Tip you over the edge. Well, I feel like I contributed to the damage by telling you to watch season two like you were ripping off a Band-Aid. I was pretty dang disappointed in that first season finale. There were a lot of things that were inconsistent. And Hero witnesses the destruction of the city in midday, and in this it happens at night. Then the whole thing about him going into the past, into Japan, I simply looked at that and said, I am not interested in following that story. That that helps to explain it for us, I think, a little bit better. If you you didn't like the season finale that much and had that big of a problem with the the chapter two directions i can forgive you walking away from the show a little bit more than just based on on uh, what you've heard other fans say about it hello this is first time caller adam or chewy for you from south bend indiana i'm calling in regards to the podcast what do fans owe the show i don't look at this question as what do i owe mgm or some executive sitting behind a desk because to be honest with you i don't feel like i owe them jack but when it comes to the show and the creative minds that are behind them i feel i owe, I owe them at least my time and attention A person has to feel satisfied with what they are receiving in order to feel they owe something that goes for anything in life. Stargate SG-1 in Atlantis has been a great joy to watch week after week. The characters, the adventures we are taking on every episode are something that we as fans cherish. So how can we say we owe nothing? The creative minds, the actors, and crew we should at least owe our support. And with Stargate Universe on the horizon, we as fans are undoubtedly going to give our time to watch. So if we feel we owe nothing then can we truly say we are fans? So next week we're talking about fan fiction. And in spirit of fan fiction, we have a question for you. What do you think fan fiction adds to the experience of enjoying a TV series? 
why do you read it? Of course, if you don't read fan fiction, um, we'd like to hear what you think about the phenomenon from an outsider's perspective. But I think this will be a good show for those who read fan fiction and those who write fan fiction. This uh, participating in a TV show or a film's fandom is, is a big deal for a lot of people, and we want to hear from, from you. We also want to get some people on here who know what the heck they're talking about, because neither David or I write or read fan fiction all that mm-hmm. much at all. Oh, I go to conventions and people are like, you know, I'm getting into the show. Not enough to write fanfic for it yet. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> oh yes. I, I guess that's big. Because, I mean, that's the ultimate, their ultimate worship of a show is to write fanfic for it. And they're, you know, I, I'm really getting into the show. Maybe someday soon, maybe I'll write fanfic for it. So I put my hands up and I slowly back away from it. It's committing yourself not only to watching a show and talking about it, but it's committing your creative art to a show. Which, for me, it's like making a website. But that's for next week, and we're going to try and find a fanfic expert to come in and talk with us. September 16th, and then on the 23rd, we'll come back and talk about the Ark of Truth. And then we have just one more show left before the premiere of Stargate Universe. So all the big lead-up that's been going on, especially in 2009, to the premiere of the third Stargate television series, that's going to be the topic of our September 30th show on the eve of SGU. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. In this episode, we talked about Stargate SG-1 Season 10. We liked it. We also gave you a preview of GateWorld's upcoming interview with actor and puppeteer Morris Chapdelaine. And for links to everything that we talked about today, head over to GateWorld.net and look for the episode 59 show notes. We appreciated all your feedback this week. Give us more on the hotline at 616-712-1647. You can also uh, leave comments in the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld form on the show notes page. From GateWorld, this is David. And is it Darren. Good night, everyone. Take care. We'll catch you next week. Come in, David.